0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. How are you all doing today? Doing well in this cold weather. Winter is here. Sorry Stephen, you're, just, you're hiding it under your collar brother. Thank you. Don't hide under the bushel. Sorry, I've now popped the thing off. I'm sorry, Stephen. Maybe we should just leave the microphone. (laughs) As always, it's a real privilege and honor to share the Word of God with you all this morning, And, and I enjoy opening the Bible and reading from beginning to end the love of Jesus and the love of our Father has always had for us and His heart desire to be with us. And that's what we're going to be sharing today. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're carrying on with the theme that Pastor Frank started us off, and others following me will, will, will continue, of the theme of making room, or making room for God, to experience more of God intimately, tangibly, being more aware of His Holy Spirit presence, like I pray, that He's always with us, but unfortunately our minds and our hearts and our bodies are of pursuing other things. But the Lord is always there, and He desires to make Himself more tangible to us, allowing us to see Him, to hear Him, even to smell Him, and to touch Him through the person of the Holy Spirit. We all desire more of God in our lives, don't we? And how do we need Him? How do we need more of God in our lives? How does the world need more of Him tangibly just like Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago. He desires to do so and continue to do so in us and through us. But this morning, like you know, I like to flip the script, and this morning is no different. I want to remind you that Elohim, the Hebrew one of the Hebrew names for, for God, means the all-powerful Creator. He desires more of us. Amen. We desire more of Him but did you know He desires more of us? He desires more of our touch, more of our tangible presence with Him. The Lord doesn't just make room for us. He reached down towards us, and He made His home, His dwelling within us. From creation, all the way up to this point, today, our Creator God is and will continue to passionately pursue His creation. This is who He is, and He desires us. We're going to step through the biblical narrative today. We're going to witness His heart that has always been for us, as the entire Bible is a story of God pursuing His creation, pursuing us, and making a way for Him to not only be amongst us, but to be within us. So, let's start where all things start. And I've spent probably too much time designing the art you're going to see with the slide, but because my heart likes to create, just like our Father God. He create. He's a creator, and some of us are more in touch with that creative flair on the tangible. Others of us are creative thinkers. But we're all creators, right? Because we echo the image of our Father. And the first slide will be a bit dull in terms of color, but you will see as we go, it will re- all will be revealed. Colossians 1.16, before we get to Genesis, says, All things were created by Him and for Him. That's why we were created. We were created to be with Him. God is a creative being, and He cannot but create. He is a giving being, and He cannot but give. And He's a personal being, and He desires and it pleasures Him to be intimately connected with us in a genuine relationship. So when the Lord, in His creative nature, and He cannot help but create, He creates, in Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Being made in the image and the likeness of God Human beings have the ability to know God, a deep knowing, an experiential knowing, an intimate knowing. And therefore, by knowing Him, intimately we love Him, we worship Him, we serve Him, and we have fellowship with Him. Eden, that we see pictured there, in the Hebrew means delight. And it was just that. It was God's delight To be walking in the garden in the cool of the day with his creation. To be with Adam and Eve. In amongst, with, and in his creation. His heart is to be with us. It has never changed from the beginning of time till today and forevermore to the end of the age. His heart is to be with his creation and to have fellowship with them. On one of these very walks, Lord, you will read in in Genesis 3 verse 8. The Lord is walking in the cool of the day or the wind of the day, it says. And on one of these walks, something is missing. Someone is missing. Some folk are missing from this walk. And the Lord cries out. And I've done a dialogue here. And this is how I see the scene played out in my heart. He, He looks out and he's walking. He's like, Humanity, where are you? A question that still echoes through the ages today. Humanity, Why have you left my presence? Why has your heart been attracted to self? Like me, I gave you the freedom of choice. That's my privilege that I have also given you. I have chosen you and pursued after you, and I do now again. I'm looking for you on my walk. Where are you? As I seek after you, knowing that you have left me. You chose yourself over me. It's heartbreaking if we understand the heart of God for us and how humanity has and will continue to choose self, but He doesn't stop pursuing us. That doesn't stop Him. Like the book of Isaiah, that does not stop the Lord from going after those that He created. God created us for His pleasure so that we, as His creation, would have the pleasure of knowing Him. God would not and thankfully did not leave us to our own destructive pursuit of self. In the opening pages in Genesis we're going to read verse 3 Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 right at that moment when humanity chose self the plan was already underway to pursue us and make a way for us to be in his delight once again speaking authoritatively to Satan the adversary the muse behind humanity's proudful pursuit. The Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the woman's offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Note the word offspring there. In Hebrew it's seed. When the Lord created, he creates everything with the blessed ability to be fruitful and multiply. If you read again the creation account, God takes painstaking detail to make sure we understand that every fruit-bearing tree, every animal, every human being has the ability to create, to yield seed according to their own kind. He creates blessing and He pours it out this world that it may continue to bless, continue to be fruitful and multiply. And it was always the Lord's purpose that He would use the seed-bearing ability from creation and humanity to bring us back to Himself. The Lord worked with the seed. And I want us to see a timeline of the seed of this generation that the Lord has prophesied to Adam and Eve, saying, from your loins will my redemption plan come forth. And through the biblical narrative, through the ages, the Lord uses the seed. From Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Lord called out a promised lineage, a promised kin, that would continue to pursue relationship with him. This is what he always destined. He said, from your seed, we will be united again. But humans do what humans do, and they keep finding themselves captive to their own corrupted hearts. This chosen family, this Abrahamic family, found themselves slave to a foreign oppressor once again, this time in the shape of Egypt, needing a rescuer, needing a redeemer, needing a savior. They cried out and the Lord heard them. And through Moses, he led them to freedom because he longed to be with them again. You see, this is what the Lord does. He makes a way for us to be with him. Fresh from their freedom out of Egypt, the Lord desires, you must understand, like someone you haven't seen for a long time coming back from the airport that emotion that you have, the Lord desires. He's only been speaking through Moses to his people. He desires to personally meet with him. And he sits up at the foot of Mount Sinai. He says, you guys wait here. I'm going to come. I want to be with you once again. He, no more Moses. Let me and you have a conversation. Let me and you have fellowship and relationship. So if we see Exodus 20, verse 18 to 19 from the message... This is where the Lord manifests himself. His Shekinah glory appears on that mountain. And this is what happened. This is the people's reaction to the thunder, the lightning, and the trumpet blast and the smoking mountain. All the people experiencing that knowing, the thunder, the lightning, the trumpet blast, and the smoking mountain, were afraid. They pulled back and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen. But don't have God speak to us or we'll die. His glory and His magnificence were so marvelous that it scared them. Imagine a child running into a father's arms. And the child runs up close and all of a sudden, my dad has changed a little bit. And they get scared and pulls back. Can you imagine the heart of the father who wanted that embrace? He wanted that fellowship with his people. You see, the Israelites, the people... From the loins of Abraham, God's chosen lineage to reunite us to himself again, chose to stay away. They chose middlemen, they chose mediators, they chose human kings, instead of being with God. So what does he do? He passionately pursues us nonetheless. He makes a way, like he always does. And he still makes a way to be with them in a way that they can feel a little safer but still his magnificence and his glory is profound. And that is through a holy tent, a tabernacle. That's what a tabernacle is. It's a tent. And we're going to explain that just now. The Lord designs, he designed it. In in the book of Exodus, you will see, he laid the blueprint for a place where both he can reside with his people and that they can feel a little safer, but still a bit afraid. With this mobile tent, this concession that He makes, the Lord once again walks with His creation like He always wanted to do with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He wants to walk with them with this mobile tent, and so He does, trading the cool of the day for the heat of the day and the freezing temperatures of night. And once again, the Lord beautifully walks with His creation as they continue to find their delight, their Eden, their promised land. Exodus 25, verse 8-9 to 9, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture. Tabernacle comes from the Hebrew word mishkan, which means to dwell, to be with. The tabernacle was considered to be the earthly dwelling place of God. We know the story. Israel takes a bit longer than planned to get to their promised land. And they get there a generation later. Through battles and with the Lord's help, they finally enter a period of peace. The Lord can now settle a bit more permanently with them. He can settle with his people through this promised lineage from the son of David, Solomon. Finally, they built a tabernacle of brick and gold, a temple, the temple of Solomon where the Lord ordered to be built that he may reside in the Holy of Holies and he may be with his people in this period of peace and rest. Again, this is the only way he could be with them because he needed to make a way to be with them. And this is why the Torah law is there, the cleansing and the sacrificing rituals. He made a way to be with them but it was never God's intention that a series of cleansing things would be needed for us to be in his presence. He just wants that hug, but we weren't able to go to him. It was never his intention today to dwell in a temple made of human hands. Still separated from them, still veiled off from them, from the Holy of Holies, the Lord desires more, and he still passionately pursued us that we may know him intimately. A relationship without rules or regulations or rituals. This is always what he envisioned Eden and delight to be, the promised land where his promised seed would be with him. So let's read the Lord's words as David initially came up with the idea, Lord, I'm going to build you a permanent residence. You don't need to live in this tent anymore, this caravan. I'm going to build you a mansion. Let's listen to what the Lord replied to David's honorable request through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 14. I'm quoting from the voice translation. I've been blessed by it. I am not held to anyone. I enjoy all of them. He says, when you leave this life, speaking to David, I will raise up from you a descendant, your own flesh and blood, and I will make his kingdom and family sure. He will be the one to build a temple honoring my name, and I will establish the leadership of his kingdom for all time. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. In response to David's heart wanting to build a brick and mortar temple, the Lord says, I will build you a tabernacle. I will build you a home. I will build a house where I can come and live with and dwell amongst you. The Lord will be doing the building, not man. And his kingdom won't just be here for a little while. It will be here forever. His dwelling desire is to be with us permanently. And of course, we know that scripture, that prophecy, as all the many before, are pointing to Jesus. That is who his tabernacle is. You see, the Lord's presence eventually leaves the brick-and-mortar temple of Solomon. In Ezekiel 10, you can read about that. Israel do what, again... The rise and fall, humanity always does. They turn their back on God. They pursue their own selves, their own ways, their own understanding of what they think is important. And as a result, foreign oppressors, like before, this time in the shape of Assyria and Babylon, invade and destroy the temple. And, and Israel is left without a home, without a tabernacle, and feeling all alone without their God present. But again, he never leaves us and he never forsakes us eventually Israel do return to the homeland, they return to Jerusalem, and they rebuild the temple, but it 's not the same because he 's not there. They rebuild a various few versions over history, a smaller temple. The, law, the Israelites never experienced god 's presence the same way they had before. This left the biblical prophets in the Old covenant speaking of a future temple when israel 's God would return and take up residence once more among and with and in his people. One such prophet that we're going to read, and this prophecy that I'm reading for you, is repeated in Leviticus, in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even in Corinthians. I'm going to be reading the Ezekiel version. This is what the Lord says through his prophet. Ezekiel 26. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Do you see the Lord's heart? He wants to be with us. He wants to be in us. He wants to have fellowship with us. The temple that they rebuilt that wasn't the same, I'm calling it a sham temple, is the very temple empty of the Lord's presence that Jesus walked and saw and entered in, and doing what? He cleansed it. The sham temple, he would enter, he would challenge, he would cleanse. And Jesus himself states the difference between this empty shell to himself, the ultimate fulfillment of the Lord tabernacling with us. John 2, verse 19 to 22. Jesus answered them, destroying this temple. And I want you to picture him touching it, being there. Destroying this temple in three, in three days, I will raise it up. That's himself. Then the Jews said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now this is an editor's note they put in there after the fact. John puts there, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. He said this temple will be destroyed, and it does get destroyed. But he says this temple pointing to his body will be destroyed, but in three days it will be recreated and completely fulfill and inhabit the Lord's presence and give it to us. The Gospel of John opens up with this truth. Jesus is the true tabernacle, the true temple of the Lord. John 1 verse 14 Young's literal translation. And the Word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of an only begotten, only begotten of a Father full of grace and truth. I use that translation because it takes the Word in the Hebrew or in the Greek straight out for you. It says, the Word became flesh and did tabernacle. And the purpose of a tabernacle is is that you may encounter the Lord, the purpose of Jesus is that we may see who God really is, a God that felt distant, felt far, felt invisible, felt formless, without void, has now come in the bodily person of Jesus, that we may know His heart, we may feel his embrace, and we may know who He has come for and why He has come. Colossians one verse nineteen from the English standard says, "For in him speaking of Jesus. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, to tabernacle, to reside, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. There in that verse we see Jesus contain the fullness of the Lord, and we see that the Lord resides in Him for the very purpose to bring us into that place of residence, to bring us into His bosom that we may be with Him. And we see in the humanity of Jesus the people that he went towards, the people that would welcome him. It's the downtrodden. It's the rejected. It's the downcast. It's the sinners. Those that were prejudiced, that weren't good enough to enter into the sham, empty shell of the temple, that they were kept outside, that they weren't good enough, they couldn't measure up, and you can't come in. Jesus doesn't wait for us to be clean. He comes out and cleanses us. He cleansed this false temple literally, but prophetically, when he cleansed that temple, he was speaking about the work that would be done on the cross and after the cross in his resurrection. Through the resurrection, and I want you to understand, I think these are facts that we have known in our head. I have known about Jesus' cross moment, his death moment, his resurrection moment, and his ascension moment as a young child, and we know these facts. But I want you to meditate on the power of what that means for us and what that meant for Jesus. You see, something miraculous happens, not only in Jesus, but through him, because through that resurrection, he reaches out to the future and he brings us into it, and he says, we can finally be together. In my resurrection, we join Jesus in this resurrection baptism. You have probably had a baptism, and if you haven't, I encourage you, it's not the act that's important. It's not just the body going underwater. It's your understanding and embracing that participation of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. When we partake in the baptism, we are partaking in what Jesus involved us in from that moment. We come alive with him. I love Colossians 2 verse 12, and I'm reading you a a juxtaposed version of 2, the message and voice. He says, you were raised up with Him by faith in the resurrection power of God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. This is the reality. And this is the dwelling promise fulfilled. You see, when we come out of that baptism water, when we come out of that tomb with Jesus, running like we sang today, we are clean from the dirty water that resides there. We are clean from our empty shell unable to experience God, unable to hold Him and contain His presence like that temple. We are cleaned and we are intimately connected with God. Jesus comes to clean us to create fellowship with the Father. He descends, and I want you to picture Jesus' baptism. As Jesus comes out of the water with John the Baptist, He said the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. The same happens to us when we are born again in the baptism of Christ, when we are resurrected in Jesus. His spirit descends and comes to live within us. We receive the spirit of the presence for the first time since creation. For the first time when we respond openly to the Lord's passionate pursuit through the ages, He comes to make His home within us. The Lord now tabernacles within us. We are the presence carrier. We are the mobile sanctuary. We are the tent. Because Jesus contains his presence and lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? I don't think the human mind can really comprehend. And it's not something we're going to figure out with our mental capacity. It's something that the Lord has done and we just need to be open to the mystery of it, the amazement of it. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 27 from the message. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore you can look forward to sharing in His glory. Christ is in you. This is mind-blowing where... We understand that Jesus contained the fullness of the Godhead, and that fullness of the Godhead comes to have residence within us through this person of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. That's that is truly mind blowing. And Jesus says in John fourteen twenty three, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. And we plural. If you ever had any confusion as to who's living inside of you, there's a we. And we will come to him and make our home with him. It's like the creation account all over again. The Lord created a way to be with his creation, to be delighted in their presence and to be a delight in their presence. This scripture that I read, John 14, was Jesus' reply to Judas Iscariot when he asked, he asked the question, why do we get to experience this tabernacle dwelling of your presence and others don't? Why is that? Interesting that Judas asked it. He says, Jesus gives the answer explaining that those who receive and respond, those are the words I want us to understand. Jesus has been the one passionately, the Father has been passionately pursuing us this whole time, throughout the beginning of time till today. And we kept turning our backs to him. We kept rejecting him. We kept saying, no, not right now. Or we accept him a measure and then we run away and we fall short. We need to receive and respond to the Father's pursuit. And Jesus, is what He did here, was the first time we were able to do so because we're not doing it in our strength. We're doing it through Him. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of our Gospel message. The Father doesn't ask of us anything that He hasn't already done. And He just says, just receive it. Walk in it. I've made a way for you. You can now experience me in the delight of the God and in my presence, in my tabernacle." all he looks for is that response and that reception. All he looks for is true love because that's what it means to love somebody. It's not out of rules, not of, of obligation, not out of emptiness, not because you have to. As a parent, you know what I'm talking about. When your child does something because they have to, like whatever, you're okay, but it gets done, but you want them to, to spend time with you. And I think the older you get, even my parents, they decide to spend time with me. And they get annoyed when I'm like, no, i got this on, i got that on. The heart of a father and a mother is to be with those that came out from their loins. And it's the same for our father. Jesus did everything, we just need to receive it. It's that simple, and it's that powerful. The gospel story is a love story of our father reaching for relationship with us. Folks, why am I sharing today? Why did I flip the script? Well, for me anyway, my walk. You see, when we say we must make room, we must be very careful on how we do that. Because he's made all the room. He's did everything. All we need to do is embrace it and receive it. If you step out with that pursuit into empty religion, empty ritual, empty tradition, because I've done that, I've tried that. This is my story. Where I've said, I'm going to Read my word every morning. I'm going to pray all the time. And then I do and I fall short. And then I go into that cycle of shame. That is old covenant based, not new covenant. Because Jesus has done everything for us. It doesn't mean we remain inactive. But we remain active in his power, in his life, and in his pursuit. You see, if we're pursuing things on our own terms, religious and rituals, it's still selfish. That's the honest truth. If you think you can control the relationship with God, then you're in control, and that's not what he wants. He controls it. He just asks to spend time with us. He wants, I've always told you, that date night daily. And he doesn't mind how he spends time with us. Honestly, for me, the most liberating thought on my first day, you know my testimony, on the job was the Lord's like, I have no expectation, I just want to be with you. We must be careful lest faith become a formula. It's never designed to be that. We cannot reach him with our own efforts. That's what the old covenant shows. We never could. We can simply just receive and respond to what he has already done. God has and will continue to always make the first move. We just need to open our hearts to realize it and to accept it. The last image, and this is the heart behind this picture that I designed, is I want you to see the biblical narrative as an illustration. I've only done a few stages. But can you see he's held, it, held creation, held the timeline in his hands, and he's worked things out that we, through Jesus, can be with him once again. Jesus loves you, precious people. It's that profound. He loves you with all his heart, and he wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you in any way he can. Let me give you an illustration. I love to speak to my wife at any time of the day, in any manner, in any medium, in any form. I love hearing her voice. I like hearing, and I love hearing how she's doing, even though I might get some complaints about work or etc. It's That's what love is. It's a desire to be with someone any way possible. So I love calling her while I'm driving, while I'm walking, while I'm working, before I sleep and when I wake up. The Father wants that and more. He loves you like that and so much more. I want you to, the narrative that we've shown you through the creation account, I want you to understand the Lord's heart. Folks, he he doesn't want religion. He doesn't want Christianity that we've deemed it today. He wants people. He wants loved ones. He wants a family. And he wants family to, to not do things because that's what's expected of. He wants to be with us and better yet, he wants to take the presence that is with us and share it out. Because he cannot help but create. He cannot help but be fruitful and multiply. And the person of Jesus is central to that heart. The world just needs to meet him. They just need to see how opening, open his heart was, how welcoming his heart was, and is today in us. This world is rendered with prejudice in many forms and many aspects. And Jesus came and washed it clean. I pray you, you understand the heart in which I'm sharing. And I pray you, the Lord may just release that yoke that you feel, that you're placing yourself under, and accept his one, which isn't a yoke at all. It's a yoke in a sense that he's with you, but it's not heavy and it's not cumbersome and it's not ill-fitting. It fits just right. And He's there to pull alongside with you. He's there to walk in the cool of the day every day with you. You just need to receive and respond. So let's bow our heads in prayer. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.